This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right, everyone, we're going to get started here again. To stretch it all, I saw some of you didn't even move, so I see you sleeping. I don't know what will happen yet, but something will happen. (laughs) All right, we want to start with prayer and ask the Lord to be with us again. And uh, let's just bow our heads. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for Jesus, for the unity that he offers us as a church, as individuals. Today, as we continue our study on the issues that are dividing our church, we ask that you would help us to be able to think clearly to be able to look at these issues not from a, a standpoint of um, judgmentalism or things like that, but to, to really analyze the things that divide us to find ways to bring unity back to the church. So we ask that you would be here, be with our discussion, be with our minds if we have questions, help us to, to find answers. And we recognize that you are the master teacher, so we pray that you would be here instructing us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how many of you learned something new in the last session that you hadn't thought of before? Okay, there's, so your minds have been stimulated. We have a church, as Valmy already mentioned, are divided over our thinking. The Bible, you know, by many is not regarded as the source of our presuppositions, and so we have, you know, classical Greek philosophy... This is uh, a little bit about what he talked about as recap. And, uh, and those presuppositions affect our understanding of the Bible. And that's why we have many evangelicals going back to Catholicism. Because they have the most complete system of philosophy outside of the Adventist Church. Ours is not complete. We actually don't even have we have, but we don't have one written out like other religions or Catholicism. They've had 1,500 years to perfect theirs. Our, ours is new, but our presuppositions come from the Bible. Amen? Not from other people thinking about reality or thinking God is like this. We believe what we believe about God, about man, and about the world because it's in the Bible. And so the only two philosophies in the world that make sense are Adventism and Catholicism. Catholicism has been winning because we don't really know what we believe. And they've had years to perfect it. But Adventism is the only one that stands on the Bible. Amen? So we're going to look a little bit at the early church, the issues that divided them, and more importantly, why they were divided. We can know what the divisions are. But unless we know why, we will have no ability to change. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. We've already read this verse several times today. If you've been to other seminars, you've probably heard it in uh, module 1. Acts chapter 1, looking at the early church, the Bible says that they had this kind of unity that perpetuated the early reign. Acts chapter 1, are you there? Amen. Verse 14. These all continued with one accord 
in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we have this description of the early church and we talked about how this unity that they had was like like a orchestra, everyone playing a different note. Some might seem, you know, to be in... What's the word? Not harmony. Dissension? Dissonant. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Some might seem to be dissonant when you hear them, you know, together. But when you hear it in, in the grand scheme of the whole orchestra, it has a sound that, you know, is greater than any one note combined. This is the, the imagery that this one accord brings. It's like the, the concert master conducting an orchestra. And that's God through the Holy Spirit conducting the church. To rush along in unison is the Greek word for one accord. Okay? We talked about that already. But notice what the Bible says. It says something that I think is the reason why unity lasted. You want to know what that is? All right. The Bible says these all continued. Okay, it's very simple. These all continued with one accord. Go to, um, to um, chapter 2. Just turn over the page. These all continued with one accord. In chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. So in chapter 1, we find that they're continuing in one accord in prayer and in supplication. So continually, day after day, they are praying together. And then in chapter 2, one accord is like, it looks like the Apostles' Doctrine. There is no division in the doctrine. They're teaching the same thing. They're studying their Bibles. And the, the, the theology that comes out of that is in harmony with Scripture. They continued steadfastly in their doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. Prayer continuing day after day, fellowshipping so much of our social interaction happens over dinner, even at GYC. So food is an important part of community. And I think the Lord made it that way. Continuing in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Day after day, they are continuing in this experience that they've had. In the upper room, they're praying for Jesus to pour out His latter rain. And we looked earlier with, that they were praying with intense earnestness. It wasn't just the kind of prayers that we say, you know, Lord, help me today to have the Holy Spirit. This is like heart-wrenching, soul-searching prayer. And it continued day after day. The Bible uses this word ten times in the New Testament that they continued. And most of them, half of them, are in relation to the latter rain. Chapter 6, verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So in chapter 6, verse 1, you know the disciples are preaching, people are being added to the church, and so they need to find more people to minister. And the temptation was for them to stop preaching the Gospel and to go and settle these disputes 
or to find find problem or solutions to the problems that you know would take away from the ministry. But they said that we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and so they appointed other people to take care of the logistical details that were the logistical problems that were coming up. So continually they saw the need to not take away from the prayer and the things that they had been continuing to do from day one. You see what the experience was. Every day they were continuing in this experience. They have this drive of purpose that won't let them stop praying. They won't let them stop visiting from house to house. And this is what created the unity that they had. And if you go back to Acts chapter 2, 1 verse 14 says, They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Chapter 2 verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. The unity that they had been developing brought about the Holy Spirit's outpouring on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says in verse 2, And suddenly there came the sound from, there came the sound from heaven. I like how the Bible puts this because it doesn't say, you know, they were continuing, in, continuing with prayer, they were continuing going house to house, eating, breaking bread, visiting, but the Holy Spirit came upon them. It doesn't say but, right? The Bible says, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. So in other words, the experience is necessary for the Holy Spirit. Because if it wasn't, they could do whatever they wanted, and whatever they would do, but the Holy Spirit would come upon them anyway. You see the difference? It's not a contrast, it's a conjunction. Joining the two ideas together. While they were in one accord, in one place, the Holy Spirit came upon them as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The unity, the prayers, being of one accord, were the conditions necessary for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see that, yes or no? They were all experiencing the same things. Do away with the conditions and what happens? You don't get the Spirit. Right? Take away the conditions and you don't get the Spirit. I want to read you this statement. There is nothing that Satan fears so much as that the people of God shall clear the way by removing every hindrance so that the Lord can pour out His Spirit upon a languishing church and an impenitent congregation. What does Satan fear? A church that is every day clearing the way and removing every hindrance in the heart. Because when the church does this, God can move with Pentecostal power. Amen. Thank you. God longs to pour out His Spirit on a languishing church. If Satan had his way, there would never be another awakening, great or small, to the end of time. But we are not ignorant of his devices. It is possible to resist his power. Amen. When the way is prepared for the Spirit of God, the blessing will come. Satan can no more hinder a shower of blessing from descending upon God's people than he can close the windows of heaven that the rain cannot 
come upon the earth. Wicked men and devils cannot hinder the work of God or shut out His presence from the assemblies of His people. If they will with subdued, contrite hearts, confess and put away their sins and in faith claim His promises. You want the latter rain, you want Pentecost in your life, clear away every obstacle, every hindrance, set aside yourself, consecrated to the Lord, continually giving yourself to prayer, to Bible study, to eating, fellowshipping with the saints. And the Holy Spirit will be poured out. And Satan will be afraid. I like that. I like that Satan fears about that because it can happen. What is the only way that this won't happen if we choose not to let it happen? Now, if you were observing the experience of the disciples and you're the devil and you're trying to think, you know, there's nothing that you fear more than to see this happen. And so what do you do? Take away the conditions, take away the spirit, right? And so the devil, his goal is to stop the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we saw that the disciples were in one accord in unity. So if you take away the unity of the church by supplying a false unity, or if you cause divisions in the church, then the Holy Spirit will not be poured out. Are you following with me? Are there divisions in the church today? Were there divisions in the early church? I want to look at those, okay? So the devil, we're going to look at false unity tomorrow. Valmy is going to share a little bit more about our divisions in thinking and, uh, and also how this leads to, to false unity. We're going to look at this in greater detail. So today, we're going to look at how the devil creates division in the church and possibly how the Lord can solve this problem. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Philippians 4, verse 2. Are you there? Philippians 4, verse 2. And uh, I was asking someone how to pronounce these names, and I'm not quite sure, and, and uh, Greek is hard to pronounce anyway. So if I mispronounce it, don't worry. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Anyone want to try differently? All right. No takers. I implore them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Evidently, Paul, when he was going and visiting other churches, starting other churches, he would leave people in charge. People would be converted and, and as time would go on, sometimes personal rivalry and jealousy would develop. And this was obviously the case in Philippi. And so Paul writes in his letter, it must have been, we don't know exactly what the issue was, but it must have been big enough for Paul to mention it in his book to the Philippian church. He says, I implore you to be of the same mind in the Lord. In these early days, personal vanity, incompatibility, and rivalry existed in the church. It exists also today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
We're looking at the early church, and then we'll make application to today's church. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Looking at verse 19 again. Do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. This is the condition of the church. In fact, Corinth was one of the most wicked cities of its time. One of the most secular places you have the Sailors coming in, and you know the stereotype that we have today about sailors, about the same back then. I live in uh, Harbor Town. Parts of it can be pretty, uh, pretty rough. Um, very secular environment. And plus you have the, the goddess Diana with her sacred prostitutes coming down into the city at night. This is the condition that the Corinthian church is dwelling, living in and around every day. And you can tell that when they're seeing this, that it has an effect upon them. And secularization began to creep into the church. And they were experiencing contentions, jealousies, outbursts, outbursts of wrath. I like how he puts it because it doesn't say they were just getting angry or had little dissensions. It says outbursts of wrath. doesn't get much more graphic than that. And then backbiting, selfish ambitions, whispering, or we call that gossiping today, conceits, tumults. Does this sound like the church that God can pour out His Spirit on? They had misplaced loyalty, the Corinthian church, between Cephas or Apollos, Paul or Apollos. This caused rivalry and division. There was quarreling, jealousy, angry tempers, disorder in the church. And then you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul just diagnoses the problem as being living according to the flesh. Chapter 3, verse 3, For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving... Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Where divisions exist... It's because the inward, selfish, carnal heart is coming out. Where conscience, intellect, and reason are overturned by our appetites, passions, and desires. This is the early church. This actually has been the condition of the church throughout the centuries. Nothing is new. Over and over again. And then you have another in Romans chapter 16. You just turn the page back. Chapter 16, verse 17. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrines which you have learned, and avoid them. I like what he says because doctrinal divisions happen all the time. There are a million people giving a million different theology million different doctrines. And what are we supposed to do? Avoid them. Alright? I don't know if you pay attention to the Adventist news, but there are 
different viewpoints, different approaches to Bible study that are fighting for supremacy. And, uh, and some, doc- some people pushing doctrines that are very disruptive to unity. What are we supposed to do? Avoid them. When someone comes with a new idea, it's fine to analyze it, it's fine to look at it and to, to see if it's scriptural, but you can know by its fruits. It said, Paul, he says, I urge you, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you have learned. If you hear of a teaching and you wait to, and to look at its fruit and you see that the fruit of its teaching causes division, what are you supposed to do? Avoid it. Why? Because it's not from God. If you look at any doctrine today that's causing division, avoid it. Now, don't think that I'm saying we shouldn't study out the issues. There are issues today that are unavoidable and we should study them out and find out what the Bible says. Make a stand and stick with it because it's from the Bible. And there are issues today that we have to do that with and we have yet to do that with. And so for those issues, we need to look at them. But for the issues that are already been looked at, we can just avoid them. We've seen the fruits of these issues. Avoid it. When someone comes claiming to have a new doctrine, we can just, just avoid it. I like what Paul says. He doesn't say fight it. He doesn't say go and blast them and and beat them over the head with the Bible. He just says, just avoid it. And I think Paul had a very pastoral heart because he knew that arguing and fighting just causes more division. And so to prevent more of the same, he says, just leave it alone. You know what its fruit is. Let it be. So the early church, they not only have doctrinal divisions or personal rivalry, they don't have just jealousy and angry tempers, or gossip, or backbiting, they also have racial division in the early church. In Galatians, you all know the story when Peter goes to the Gentiles, he's eating with them, and when the Jews come, he, he goes out and, and uh, doesn't eat with them. And, and Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 2, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. I really like Paul because he's so straightforward in in what he does. He says that this is so wrong and gave such a bad example that he was willing to go head-to-head with Peter, the apostle who had been with Jesus. You know, Peter probably knew more than anyone about the grace of Jesus, having sinned the way he sinned and being forgiven the way he was forgiven, but yet he still had areas of his life where he needed to grow. And this wasn't just a problem that Peter had. Barnabas got swept up with it. The Jews, in general, practice racism. Jew versus Gentile. Nationalism, patriotism, call it whatever you want. Racism is still a problem in our church. Valmy mentioned it a little bit. We have separate conferences. In the U.S., we have black and white conferences. In Zimbabwe, there's black, white, colored conferences where uh, 
If you're not black or white, you go into the third. South Africa, Croatia. Croatia, based off of the Yugoslavian war, they separated. You can't even tell the difference in their skin color. But they're divided. This is the state of of the church. But any division that happens among us. Now pay attention to this because I feel like I've depressed everybody so far by all of this. Any division that happens in the church today is only evidence of our separation from God. Okay, Valmy said not all divisions are bad and that's true. I'm talking about the bad divisions. The bad divisions happen because we have separated ourselves from God. You remember in Genesis chapter 3 what happened? You go, God created man. He created Adam and Eve. They had a relationship with each other. The first marriage that was performed happened right there in the Garden of Eden. And they had a relationship with God where God would walk in the cool of the day in the garden and they would fellowship together. And what happened when you had the horizontal relationship was severed. Eve ate the fruit of the garden. She ate the, I almost said the apple, but we all know we don't know what it is. She ate this fruit and her relationship with God was severed. Horizontal breakdown. And then she goes to her husband and she blames him when God comes down. So right there you have the, I said the horizontal, I meant the vertical. Now you have the horizontal split where their communication, their peaceful marriage is now like the marriages we see today. Any evidence, any division that we have is evidence that our vertical connection with heaven has been severed. The same things are dividing our church today. Compromise, division in our thinking, personal pride. I like what what this statement says. Christ did not exalt man by ministering to his pride. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And unless human pride is humbled and subdued, unless the stubborn heart is made tender by the Spirit of Christ, it is not possible for him to impress his divine similitude upon us. I like this because it's very clear. Unless our pride is humbled, unless our stubborn hearts are made tender by the Spirit of Christ, His divine image will not become part of ours. So how do we get His image to be part of ours? Humble ourselves. Take away the stubborn heart. I'm trying to make this a little bit practical. But you probably realize now the problem is bigger than we have answers for. I don't claim to have all of the answers. But today we have compromise, we have pride, we have personal rivalry, theological turmoil over women's ordination is the hot topic right now. We have higher criticism, anti-Trinitarian doctrine, Jan Paulson said, the issues that has the most potential of dividing the church is theology. So 
Some of you are laughing. I don't know why. Theology has been a source of division, believe it or not. I would say it's partly unavoidable, partly because we haven't studied like we should, and partly because the Lord has not revealed everything to make everything clear. But we have enough to know to be sure of our foundation. And John Chrysostom said, nothing will so avail to divide the church as love of power. Today we see this in people going for church positions who shouldn't be there, trying to control the boards of elders. You would think that love of power would be something that would just stay in the political world. But this is in the church. People want power, they want influence, and influence is good when we use it rightly. But to be in a position because the position is esteemed is wrong. God puts people there who He wants. And sometimes, because we love power, we just get in the way. Do you know, divisions are unavoidable. They're going to happen. The Leningrad Museum of History of Religion and Atheism talks about the horrible things that have been done in the name of religion, the apostasies from authentic Christians, and they, they dwell at nauseating length over the strife and division and schism and heresy within the church as proof for atheism. This is what the world sees in the church. They see a church that's divided over issues. A church that's hypocritical in its preaching and teaching. That says, love all men and then goes out and kills them. But the world hasn't known Adventism like they should. Amen? We have something greater to offer the world than what we've shown them. Because we have something better to offer the church than the world than anyone else has. Divisions in the church keep us from receiving the Holy Spirit. They keep the world from embracing the church. You're following that? Divisions keep the world from embracing the church and they keep us from receiving the Holy Spirit. We're divided by sin, divided by thinking, divided in missions, divided in theology, divided in philosophy. And the reality is, we'll probably be divided or have differences as long as we live. We're going to talk a little bit about how to have unity. And among these differences, the differences that matter, in the next section. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be closing in just a minute. Revelation chapter 2, this church at Ephesus that that began with a powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit being poured out on 12 converts. Eventually, 
you come down to this time when John is writing Revelation chapter 2 and, and Jesus has something to say to this church. The title over your Bible it might be something like the Church of Ephesus or the Loveless Church. To the angel of the Church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who practice, those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. You have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You have this church who lost their first love. They, they loved Jesus so much. The Holy Spirit was poured out with the Pentecostal power. One of the three examples of speaking in tongues happened to the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. This church that received the Holy Spirit eventually became a church that forgot what it was like to love Jesus. I have to ask ourselves, have we, in all of this division and all of the fighting and all of the things that we're trying to valiantly put forward for Jesus, have we forgotten about the reason behind that? Where is the continuing in prayer and supplication, in breaking of bread, going from house to house, in worshiping, in praising, and in blessing God? Do we see that today? In some places we do. But by and large, that's not what we see. If the church had continued in that experience, the Holy Spirit would have been poured out and poured out and poured out. Do you realize that in the book of Acts, it was normal for people to speak in tongues? When people were converted, they had the Holy Spirit. And I do believe that when people are converted, they have the Holy Spirit. But today, we haven't seen His power. And so you and I can have the Holy Spirit's power, but we've forgotten what it's like to continue in the unity experience as a church. And it's affected us and caused us more than we know. The devil has been successful in that he's caused divisions to get us sidetracked from what is really important. Do you see that? If we had unity like they had in the upper room, Pentecost would be repeated again. Jesus would come back. He's coming back, amen? He would come back sooner, I believe. So today we have divisions. The divisions are too much for us to wrap our minds around. It doesn't even matter in the grand scheme of things. If we give ourselves to the experience that we just described in the early church, I believe the Holy Spirit will be poured out again. 
the differences will solve themselves. It's okay to work towards unity. I believe we should. But if we work towards unity with God. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.